This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharuddin and this is Gigi World Played, BFM's video game show. We'll be rounding up some of the biggest news and releases from the month of August with Jonathan Leo from kakuchopore.com today. Let's start with the news. And one big story that captured our attention was Embracer Group and the spending spree that they're embarking on. A couple of months ago, they acquired Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, alongside other development teams. And now they have made a blockbuster deal by acquiring the IP rights to the Lord of the Rings franchise via Middle Earth Enterprises, a division of the Sol Zans company. What's the deal there? Jonathan will explain more. Not just Lord of the Rings, they also bought off Tripwire Interactive, uh, the developers who made Maneater and the Killing Floor series, Tuxedo Labs, an indie group that made Teardown, which is a very addictive you know, game about tearing stuff down in the time limit, and Limited Run Games. This company, they don't actually make games per se, but they make limited edition versions, collector's items for existing video games, especially retro video games. Like, I believe for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, they created a special box set exclusive for collectors of that, which means people are actually willing to wait a couple of weeks for this set to come out because they look really, really good and they're of high quality. I believe they also made, like, vinyl records, but for now, I know they create, like, very special editions of different retro games, whether they're, like, for classic consoles or existing games. I think the biggest one I remember was definitely Streets of Rage 4 when that came out. Limited Run created like a really big collector's edition where the game itself even came out in like the original Sega Mega Drive uh, box but obviously for Nintendo Switch or the PC version or the Xbox or PlayStation version. So it's just a box. So that's really cool. Now in terms of the Lord of the Rings buyout, I believe... The company that owned it previously was the Saul Zeitz Company. They've owned the IP for Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings since 1976. But this discussion has been going on since early this year. So it was a pretty... I think it was an undisclosed amount, which means that Embracer Group now has the rights to, you know, produce films, make video games and board games and even more. Even, you know, sell different sorts of merchandise here and there. Which means we're going to see a bunch of other developers and companies under the Embracer Group to make new Lord of the Rings titles. So let's just say if Gearbox wanted to make a Lord of the Rings game, and because they're under Embracer Group, I'm sure they can if they you know talk to the right people and you know with the right amount of talent and whatnot. So they'll have you'll see a lot of Lord of the Rings games being announced eventually, probably starting next year and the year after. Mm. Yeah, but Embracer Group, I mean, what's pretty interesting about them is that prior to this, I wasn't that familiar with them, but they seem to be embarking on this project of yeah, acquiring all these smaller studios, right? Which is pretty interesting. Uh, Big and small studios, actually. I wouldn't mm. say that Idols Montreal is small. There, there are a lot of people who work in that company and they've been around for a while. So the Square Enix buyout was a bit... I mean, I guess it's expected because Square Enix, they're the kind of people who callously cut their losses somehow and I don't know why they don't appreciate a company like IDOS Montreal and Crystal Dynamics but what happened happened and they got sold off so I mean then again so do the other IPs that are you know being handled by IDOS and Crystal Dynamics like Tomb Raider and Deus Ex and Legacy of Cain so with any luck Embracer will be friendly enough to have these game companies do whatever they want with these IPs, how they see fit. 
So that's, I guess you could say it's like a silver lining within this like, this doubt and uncertainty because Square Enix, no matter what you say about them, they are still a big company who at times and occasion, they do take care of whoever is under their umbrella. So I'm not sure how Embracer Group is like, what they're like. So again, the future is up in the air for this. Yeah, but pretty interesting and I would, we will definitely be looking forward to, I guess, how they're going to go oh, about doing their business. Very right? interesting. Yes, yeah. very interesting. Just think of all the different IPs. If Embracer Group are true to their word and they'll let their developers and their publishing arm do whatever they wish, as long as quality games come out of it, we'll see a lot of resurgence of the Lord of the Rings games because some of the good ones actually came out during the PS2 era, like that beat-em-up. Actually, there are a lot of beat-em-ups, come to think of it. <laughs> and there was a pretty cool one. Like It was basically like, Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance, but Lord of the Rings. Mm. Character, new characters, all that, you know, hack and slashing, killing the Uruk Highs, Orcs, the Treans, and all the different menagerie of enemies you fight in the Lord of the Rings. So I'd like to see that popping back soon, but with that whole next gen kind of touch. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Um, next on the agenda is um, I think earlier this month, there's uh, the Evo 2022 fighting game tournament, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a very big event and a lot of people did attend in Las Vegas because it was actually the first Evo tournament since two years back prior to the pandemic because, you know, you can't actually go out during the pandemic, right? But also there was actually some controversy with the Evo founder who was an alleged pedophile. I mean, but at the, at the, at the end result, he actually got kicked out. One of the founders, like one of the co-managers or whatnot. Not really the founders, but the co-manager. He got kicked out and then there was a bit of controversy there. But now that is back in full swing, all the tournaments are happening per se and all the people all over the world from Japan, Asia and whatnot, different countries, they all came down and converged. And obviously, they need to have the one winners among all the worldwide champions. So, Gutiger Strive Umisho was actually one of the top players who won the entire tournament. For Street Fighter V, there was Kawano, a Japanese player. He's actually renowned in the circle for playing a really mean Colin. And Idom, who actually took second place, which is very respectable considering that US teams in during EVO, they never get their due in Street Fighter V. So, it's really good to see Idom actually destroying legacy players like Tokido and Daigo with his uh, slick Laura play. So good luck. I mean, t- the top two players are really brand new, fresh faces in the Street Fighter scene. For Tekken 7, you've got Korean player Ni, who took the top place, and Khan from Pakistan, who took second place. And his uh, buddy, Arsene Ash, took third place. So they've got like the top two players from Pakistan, you know, showcasing the world what Pakistani Tekken is all about, which is very, very strong. Mm, awesome. And for King of Fighters 15, you've got two Taiwanese players, Z, JZ, and ET, who are, I would say they're quite, I mean, I would say they're super young, but they're not really old either, like in between. Xiaohai from China will be considered an old player, like a very legacy player. But ET and JZJ, they've been around the circuit since KOF 14 and even 13. So. Okay, at the beginning of 13 maybe, but I know they've been around in uh, part 14 and part 15, so it's good to see these Taiwanese players who are not quite fresh off the boat, but still pretty young nonetheless, to take the top place for this tournament. Mm, Alright, uh, in terms of announcements, uh, there were a few announcements made, right? I mean, not major announcements, but like I think they tease out a new Tekken game and whatnot. Uh, not really new tech. I mean, they teased a new Tekken 8 or even a Tekken Tag Tournament 3, but it was just that, a tease. And then you've got like a bit of reveal for Street Fighter 6, 
a new character, Kimberly, coming in. She's a ninja from the Bushinryu school that's set up in Final Fight and Street Fighter lore. And Juri, who is actually a legacy character from Street Fighter 4 and Street Fighter 5, coming back to this game. So they all look really good. They introduced a new character, Bridget, who is actually from the old Guilty Gear games. She's now a playable character in Guilty Gear Strive. Has that whole rush-on attack with her yo-yos and her magic bear, I believe. And I believe that's about it. Um, KOF 15, they had the announcement for the new Orochi Awakened team. They came out, I think, the day after EVO 2022. So yeah, lots of really crazy stuff going on here and there. There was actually an amid- a bit of an omission because we thought that they were going to announce a new Project L kind of announcement, but nothing came out from that. But although, to be fair, uh, Tom and Tony Cannon, the Cannon brothers, for who actually are leading the project and are founders of EVO originally, they announced that, yeah, they're still working on Project L and they announced that the game is actually free to play like a couple of days before EVO started. So that's your update for the League of Legends fighting game, lah. Mm, all right okay um moving on i heard this uh i think a lot of people have heard about x infinity right uh what's the latest update there uh the latest update would be that the axis infinity ceo he actually pulled us 3 million out of the company and the games pool the cryptocurrency pool before the hack was actually announced so for those who don't know x infinity is an it's a simple simulation action game where a lot of people can actually actually earn cryptocurrency money back when they farm in the game per se through its economy. So it's supposed to be like a crypto-focused ecosystem going on. People playing the game, getting the money honestly, and then inviting a lot of other people to alongside as their mentors to actually earn money from there. But on 23rd of March, the company's Ronin network was hacked with US 600 million stolen in the form of Ethereum and USDC stablecoins. So... Before they actually had to make the announcement, it was found out recently this month that the CEO, Trung Nguyen, transferred US $3 million worth of AX from the blockchain into his Binance account. So the CEO said that it was meant for liquidation, but a lot of people are, you know, if they're not suspicious about how Axie Infinity works and how a cryptocurrency-focused game works now, then they're probably even more suspicious now because this is still actually ongoing whether the funds transfer was actually legit or not. It's like still back, there's a lot of back and forth going on as we speak. Mm, yeah. And we'll keep you updated on the latest development on that story. Uh, moving on, there's also another story in Indonesia uh, involving Steam and uh, PayPal being blocked. Yeah, what's, what's the deal over there? Yeah, yeah. At the tail end of July, at the start of August, Indonesia banned PayPal, Steam and Epic Games because the companies are unaware about the recent Indonesian government regulations and registrations. So, under the Com Info sector for Indonesian government. So, these guys, these companies are actually supposed to sign in under the Private Electronic System Providers Regulation, or the PSC. Otherwise, they cannot do business in Indonesia. Now, of course, Indonesian companies and developers and tech companies know about this, but not global giants like PayPal, Steam, and Epic. So this caused a lot of headaches. So after the block happened and they, they get this like red message saying that, oh, there's sensitive content. So this, this site was banned. So it's like a generic uh, banned message. This actually caused a lot of headaches in the Indonesian game development and content creation community because a lot of these folks rely on payouts via PayPal. So if PayPal is blocked, you cannot get your payment from whatever you've done back from the end, by the end of the month or end of the week. 
and a lot of indie game developers who use Steam to release their games on the platform as well as on Epic Games, they cannot use that platform because it was banned. They cannot put up updates. They cannot even put up, even release the game at all or, you know, their games are inaccessible, inaccessible. But at the very least, the problem was actually fixed during the course of that really tumultuous weekend. As some Indonesian developers like Toge Productions helped Valve submit their registration and get the government details and the sign-up all sorted out. So, And even ComInfo did announce that within a set period of time, if these companies, like maybe a month or so, if the companies do not, do not sign up for the PSE, they'll be banned. So it's like a grace period. But yeah, the ban that actually happened like instantaneously was a bit uncalled for. Lah. Mm, but now everything's okay, I assume? Uh, right now at this point in time, yes. But who knows? Maybe there could be like an issue happening or so. So at least the developers and content creators have the great spirit of withdrawing their funds and, you know, putting it into their bank account and whatnot and sort that things out. But I'd be very livid if this sort of thing happened as someone who creates content and get some of the payments sorted through online channels like this. Like, I mean, you'd be mad too if the Malaysian government decided to pull off a stunt like this without any warning, especially towards the heads of these companies who don't know much about what's going on and the other outside of their own expertise, right? Mm, yeah. I mean, it was a very weird situation. I mean, all things considered, but I guess everything's like now stabilized, which is a great thing, but yeah, we'll see. Moving on, um, Okay, so so Gamescom is currently happening, but at the time of recording, it's just the first day, right? Uh, what have we heard so far from Gamescom right now? We have heard a lot, actually. I actually had a lot of like bunch of news just popped up, right? It's hap- it happened like earlier this morning at this point of recording, so I'll just go through like a laundry list. Like there was actually an announcement for a Dune game uh, based on the Frank Herbert novel and the movie that came out a couple of years back. Oh, last year, sorry. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. It's called Dune Awakening. It's an MMORPG with survival elements and it's being published by Funcom, the creators of The Secret World. And next up, we have a bit of gameplay from Sonic Frontiers. Submit. Your reckless actions endanger the world. Which actually has an announcement date on November 8th, which is the same week as Skull and Bones <laughs> and God of War Ragnarok. Let's see, we have... Uh, yeah, uh, Gotham Knights actually has a new release date, October 21st, four days earlier than expected, which is nice. Dead Island 2 actually got a surprise announcement at the end of the Gamescom 2022 opening night live uh, showcase. So Dead Island 2 has been delayed for quite a number of times for the past 3, 4, 5, 6 years, but now there's a concrete release date, which is February 3rd, 2023 for PC, Xbox Series, and PlayStation 5. And we actually get to see actual gameplay, some developer interviews here and there about what the tone of the game is, which is like a very pop action style open world game with violence because of zombies, right? And some humor and levity where the stages and the levels actually set place takes place in a hellish Los Angeles hellscape, if that makes sense. And other titles are there's actually a lot of the Fallen sequel that was announced, but it's rebranded as wait for it, The Lords of the Fallen, <laughs> which is the same title as the first game. The champions of war united. 
and began the eternal watch over their tyrant's colossal remains. For some forces, even... Uh, the game came out in 2014, so this is more or less like a reboot with um, a, a nice little-looking trailer with uh, Danzig being played, of course, the song Mother. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a Souls-like game. It's going to be as expected, and you've got... I mean, it's going to be hardcore, let's just say that. Mm. And there's also an announcement for a new Tales from the Borderlands, which is a story-based game set in the Borderlands universe. Dying Light 2, Bloody Ties, which is story DLC for Dying Light 2. I'm going to tell you a story about a species that survived millennia. Which would probably be a very significant chunk of hours spent. So new location, everything. We might actually look at Aiden's history before he became a runner in the Dying Light 2. The world outside is beautiful. We've got Tortuga, a pirate's tale, a turn-based strategy pirating game. Destiny 2 Lightfall, which is the next Destiny expansion. It was actually showcased a bit like the power-ups and the new world and the new city and the new enemies, but it was two hours prior to the Gamescom presentation, but, you know, it's in the same time frame, so I counted under that. Lah. We've got eh, quite a number of uh, new titles. Uh, Moonbreaker is a new game from the people who made Subnautica, it's, and it's actually going to be coming out on September 29. It's a turn-based sci-fi strategy game with paintable digital miniatures in the unknown world setting, you know. With, and, the, uh, and the actual story is being done by Brandon Sanderson, who is renowned for many of his fantasy novels for the past five, ten years. Oh yeah, Lies of P is actually a, a Bloodborne-style game, a Souls-like action RPG, where you play as Pinocchio. That's it. <laughs> so you basically have to meet your dad, Geppetto, and you have to fight like a bunch of like me- mechas and you know puppets and machines and whatnot in like a contemporary steampunk-esque kind of setting. So basically, imagine if Pinocchio can cast spells and have a giant sword, and you're stuck in like a Bloodborne-type universe. So. And I think it's... I'm not sure if it's coming out uh, this year or next year, but I do know that it's actually going to be an Xbox Game Pass at launch title. Mm. So that's pretty cool. The sand has memories. Memories of our past. When gods walked this world. Uh, Atlas Fallen is a semi-open-world co-op and or solo action RPG where you got a bit of Monster Hunter action going on and your characters can actually skate through sand. The actual world itself is full of like a big wasteland desert place and your characters can basically move through sand like like untethered, like actually skating through sand um, like, uh, like in the game Journey. You play Journey, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so your characters can skate around like that. It looks pretty cool. And wow, there's actually a lot of announcements. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll just make one last one. Mm. Homeworld 3 for my PC gaming fans out there who love the past two Homeworld games. It was a simple perimeter scan. 
escorting resources. But we were ambushed by Kalan Raiders. The fighters were no problem, but the missile frigates were a different story. It's an outer space real-time strategy game, new gameplay trailer. I believe the game is coming out in early access in the first half of 2023. So for you retro gaming fans, that's the one big title you want to look forward to. Yeah, a lot of announcements. And and there are also some others, like, you know, um, a lot of uh, gameplay reveal trailers also for some other games, right? Yeah. Yeah, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is also a game that's coming out in 2023. <laughs> it's based off the very terrible horror movie that came out in the 80s. And they're making a competitive multiplayer horror game out of it. Like, uh, like Dead by Daylight, except with Killer Clowns. <laughs> it's it's pretty silly. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, okay, and another I won't call it silly, but I mean expected, but still pretty surprising was the announcement of Hideo Kojima starting his own podcast show, right? Funded by Spotify. Yes, that is correct. Our let's see. He mentioned during the Gamescom show in a little video. I mean, he couldn't make it because it's in Japan and busy and stuff. He plans to... Basically, Kojima Productions and Hideo Kojima will be doing a Spotify-exclusive podcast that will be both in English and Japanese. And it'll be... The first episode will be on the 8th of September. He will bring special guests from various fields, most likely from, you know, from film or maybe video games. Who knows how it works out? But um, he's still working on the Xbox project, especially. And with, you know, Death Stranding coming out on Xbox Game Pass, which is big news for a lot of people who missed out on Death Stranding. And yeah, the podcast will be on September, both languages. So we'll be interested to hear how this turns out. That was Jonathan Leo from Kakuchupuri.com looking back at some of the biggest news in the gaming world this month. We're going to make way for some messages. After this, some of the games that were released in August, including Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Call of the Lamb. Stay tuned. This is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopuri.com. We're rounding up some of the biggest news and releases from the month of August. It's a packed month, so I'm going to make way for John to talk about the games. Yeah, don't worry. I'll keep it very short and sweet. I will actually bring a title that I did not review last month because of embargo reasons. Yeah, now we're bringing out the big guns. What's up? Xenoblade Chronicles 3. It's a big JRPG and definitely my personal pick of one of the best games of 2022. It's an exclusive JRPG for Nintendo Switch. It's got a gripping plot with the right shades of anime over the topness and loads of heart. It has a lovely real-time combat system featuring chain attacks and characters fusing into mechas called Ouroboros or Ouroborosis, I'm not sure what the plural term is, and amazing music from high-profile composers like Yasunori Mitsuda, Ace, Manami Kiyota, Kenji Hiramatsu, and Mariam Abu Nasser, who is probably Scottish, I'm not sure. I apologize if I pronounced the name wrong, but generally the game is great, worth buying, especially with the class system where you get to have heroes, change up your different classes and whatnot, and collect different heroes with your own awesome side stories for you to explore. The game is actually, like, I guess it's worth about 100, 200 hours, depending on how much you want to spend time on, on it, you know? Hmm. 
Yeah, um, sounds sounds like a good game. And you said earlier that it was it's definitely going to be uh, one of the games of the year for you. Well, it's not it's not Elden Ring, but it's mm. definitely up there, lah. I would say it's on my top five because I've been a big personal fan of Xenoblade Chronicles one and two, especially Xenoblade Chronicles X. But part three, it's its own flavor. People who are new to the series can get into this. And people who are veterans of part one and part two will appreciate the nugget, story nuggets that actually pop up at the tail end of the title. But that's what I'm going to say. It's worth buying it right now. If you have a Nintendo Switch, go get it. If you don't, even, if you don't have a Nintendo Switch, it's worth getting it. If you're big with JRPGs, I should also mention that Life Alive is also a Nintendo Switch. So you got two JRPGs you can, you can buy this year, which are really <laughs> awesome. I am Bolsonius of House Sandy Kraken. A new house? Good luck with that. Phoenix and Duststorm have this year locked up. You got my duct tape? It's in the trunk. Great! The Balrod's out back. What's your name, dear? Ninafer Letfoot. What? Okay. Now, uh, moving on, we have Saints Row, the reboot, which is out for Xbox, PlayStation, and PC by, via Epic Games Store. It's going back to the previous game streets and crime gang roots by scaling things back a bit and making it slightly less over-the-top but still over-the-top nonetheless. It's a fine crime sandbox action title, but it is still pretty half-baked and buggy as all heck. I did not actually come across like major game-ending crashes and game-ending bugs or game-breaking bugs, but I know a lot of people who have, and they have the same copy as I did for either the Xbox or the PC. But despite these issues... I did have fun with the game's new vehicles like the monster truck and the hoverboard, the many high-tech gadgets, as well as the criminal venture minigames and activities where you get to build businesses as fronts and do illegal activities for money and for funny crime antiques in the town of Santo Ileso. The story, on the other hand, is pretty bad, so I wouldn't recommend playing it for the story. You play it for like the sandbox action. Mm, yeah, a, a more zany version of like something like a GTA, right? It's a more zany version of GTA, but it's less zany than the last Saints Row game, which is Saints Row 4, which is probably the best Saints Row game I've played next to Part 3. So I would say this reboot is like a few steps lower than that. But unless if I mean, yes, they need... Uh, Deep Silver and Volition will need to fix the bugs in the game. But apart from that, there's still a lot of bit of fun to be had if you're into the GTA style of gameplay. Mm. Moving on, this next game, uh, I've heard a lot about this next game. Uh, maybe you can tell me more about it as well. Uh, Cult of the Lamb? Ah, yes, Cult of the Lamb. It's a roguelike action title like Binding of Isaac with the top-down view and the simple combat and the setups and some semblance of a challenge, especially when you're playing through an entire run, you got to choose your different paths and fight the end-level boss. However, you also have to play a simulation after you've done the dungeon run where you manage your own cult. Yes, C-U-L-T, cult. You can set up your own rules, build whatever you want to keep your followers happy. If they're happy, they give their devotion and faith to you. And that powers you up to get better skills, better buildings and structures to make your cult run really, really well, and powers for future dungeon runs, as well as establish doctrine so that your cultists and your followers can, you know, follow a particular rule and you get more faith that way and keep your denizens happy. The game's cute art style, fantastical atmospheric music, 
great gameplay balance between action and management, and a satirical take on cults and religion in general, makes this one a worthy purchase for this month. I think I should add it, I should also add that it's also like maybe in my top five because it's just adorable to play and also a bit deviant in that sense. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that game as well. Um, worth Definitely worth checking out, right? Yes, yes, definitely. We've got a Malaysian game that came out this month, Gigabash. It's a multiplayer brawler title from Passion Republic. The Malaysian studio is known for contributing to big PlayStation titles like Ghost of Tsushima. Now, the game itself, you get to pick between a plethora of kaijus and giant-sized heroes based on Godzilla and Ultraman and even Mazinga Z and fight with one another either offline or online. If you're big into the whole party game mashup with fighting and cute little monsters and art style, it's definitely worth it if you've got pals to play with. The game also has a single-player mode and a playground for you to test out your moves here and there, but I'd say this is more or less like a long-term game where the game's success is dependent on its community and its player base. If you don't have a big player base in the next six months, this game is basically doomed to failure. But for now, the mechanics and everything is all set up. It looks really fun to play. And I do hope that the Passion Republic do have like a can keep this game going alive for many more months to come. Or even a year or or years. Does it have crossplay? Crossplay, as far as I know, no crossplay. I could be wrong. Sorry, I didn't actually check that part. <laughs> but it definitely the offline play is what is where it's at, lah, basically. If mm, you want yeah. to actually have more people playing in the same group for like one it's either like a free for all or like you got mini games you get to play in, in exchange back and forth. Yeah, it looks like a good party game, right? Yeah, and if the game doesn't have crossplay, they Passion Republic should hopefully implement that as soon as possible. So they can have like PlayStation folks playing with PC folks and back and forth. Mm. Like last but not least, there's also Midnight Flight Express. Yes, Midnight Flight Express is a single-player 3D top-down beat-em-up where you play a thug with amnesia, and you have like a little drone to give you instructions. And you have to take down criminals and gangs in many, many city locations like a diner, the sewers, on top of a moving train, and a ship, and even a S&M club. There are like 40 stages. All the action you see on the screen are all done in mocap. So the animation is pretty fun and, you know, you win when you see people getting beaten up. The aesthetics are gritty and the sounds are bone-crunching and very visceral. And the controls and combat are flexible and fun. Your character, apart from using weapons, he can also use guns. He can do like really cool parries. He got to do dodge rolls. He can even use like a rope dart thing to actually grab enemies from afar. And you know, even do wrestling moves like a choke slam or a body slam or a suplex. It's pretty fun to play. Like if you if you have like six hours to kill, you want to play a really fun, intense beat em up and want to get the best score from all the different forty stages you play through. You should try Midnight Fight Express. And best of all, this game was made by one guy, Jacob Dwinnell. And yeah, I mean, the music and everything is actually done by third-party folks, but the majority of the game is just made by this one guy who just loves beat-em-ups in general. So you could tell that the love and whatnot and feel is from the controls and from the way characters move and fight, this very fluid animation and all that. So it's definitely worth the money to buy. And it's also free on Xbox and PC Game Pass. 
if you like artists like Perturbator or any of the dark industrial synth kind of music, you'll love the soundtrack for Midnight Fight Express. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I understand that uh, Multiverses was also released uh, internationally, globally um, this month, but it, it hasn't reached our shores yet, right? Um, when, when can we expect it to be released? I think I should also mention, that's also one piece of news I should mention, where Multiverses is not available in Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, and the rest of Southeast Asia because yeah, the developer has stated on Twitter that they are focused on the US and Europe first because they need manpower to create more servers for the eventual launch of the game. Right now, the game is an open beta. Some characters are still very unbalanced or lowly balanced or less tweaked than before. So the game is going through like a period where it just needs to get some fixer-upping and whatnot. So Warner Brothers is still, you know, until we hear official news from Warner Brothers or from Multiverses itself, we won't be able to play the game anytime soon. And if you try to install the game through a VPN, you'll get banned. So I wouldn't suggest doing that. You'll get your account locked. Let's just say that. Okay, all right. Thank you for the heads up. Um, next month, any interesting games that we can expect in September? Well, um, like, um, if we're going back to Multiverses, I do hope the game <laughs> is available uh, in Southeast Asia because right now it is uh, region locked at this point in time. Mm. And in what's happening in September? I believe there's going to be a bunch of Tokyo Game Show news popping up. So look forward to that. In terms of games, I guess I'm looking forward to Splatoon 3. Mm. That's probably the only game I'm looking forward to <laughs> because of the multiplayer and the single player, you know, the the first per- sorry, the third person shooter aspect of, you know, being a squid and a kid with a paint gun. So it's kind of cool. You're tuned into GG Well Played and it was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com summarizing some of the biggest news and releases this August. Head on over to their website kakuchopore.com to check out more gaming news and reviews. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at bfmradio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.